I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. And so the great philosopher Zeno said uh, you should never touch yourself. Oh, hello. Welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion, where I read to you the hottest public domain books and short stories. Uh, this week, we're uh, going to read The Intoxicated by Shirley Jackson. Uh, it's been a while since I recorded an episode because as an unemployed man, I didn't realize that everything would stop working. My computer stopped working. So I put on credit, on a credit card I'm never going to pay because I'm unemployed, that uh, a new computer, which took a while to set up, uh, and that was annoying. But here I am, got all my files back, uh, doing that now. I've also realized that washing machines will stop working, and so will a bunch of other stuff. Oh, and then the mice come back into the basement, so I can't record down there. I'm back in my bedroom, because I just don't want to be down there with the mice. Uh, unemployed people are a sad people, which draws them to things like philosophy, which is why I decided to read uh, The Intoxicated by Shirley Jackson, because I went to a website looking for short stories about uh, philosophical things. Because, I don't know, that's the mood I'm in. Plus, I need a break from David Copperfield. That book has 60 chapters, and I'm only on chapter 21. Uh, I need a break. I want to read something different. So, let's dive in real briefly on uh, Shirley Jackson. Born December 14, 1916. Died August 8, 1965. Was an American writer known primarily for her works of horror and mystery. Over the duration of her writing career, which spanned over two decades, she composed six novels, two memoirs, and wrote uh, more than 200 short stories. Uh, in an era when women were not encouraged to work outside the home, Jackson became the chief breadwinner while also raising the couple's four children. By the 1960s, Jackson's health began to deteriorate significantly, ultimately leading to her death of a, a heart condition in 1965 at the age of 48. Uh, she's been cited as an influence on a diverse set of authors, including Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, Sarah Waters, Nigel Neal, Claire Fuller, Joanne Harris, and Richard Matheson. Uh, Want to hear a fun fact? Her family believe in Christian science. Uh, Jackson's maternal grandmother, who lived with the Jacksons while she was growing up, was a Christian science faith healer. Uh, Jackson would later recall angrily her mother and grandmother praying over her little brother's broken arm rather than taking him to a hospital. Still, she listed Christian science as her religion and her colleagues' uh, applications. She flunked out of college. Uh, the writer responsible for the defining stories of her era was kicked out of the University of Rochester after her sophomore year. Jackson spent far more time hanging out in cafes with her best friend, a sophisticated French exchange student, than studying... Uh, she may have suffered a serious depression. Uh, parts of hang, hangs a man. 
her second novel, are based on the experience during these years. After taking a year off, she enrolled in Syracuse, where she met Stanley Edgar Hyman, her future husband. They graduated in 1940. Her parents didn't attend her wedding. <laughs> Everything about this poor woman's life is just not going smoothly. Uh, neither did Hyman's parents. Uh, though he declared himself a militant atheist as a teenager, he was brought up in a traditional Jewish household, and his parents didn't approve of him marrying outside the faith. The Jacksons, for their part, were eh, more than a little anti-Semitic. Jackson didn't even tell her family that she and Hyman had gotten married until months after the fact. Well, that's the reason why they didn't attend her wedding. She didn't tell them until months later. The Jacksons never entirely warmed to him. Well... Ah, crap, got a lot of time until the clock goes. Nothing's happened in my life. I got nothing to say here in this dead air space. Uh, except that everything in my house is falling apart and I don't have the money to pay for it. And yet I still do. Do I have a job? No. Have I looked for a job? No. I did have a job uh, interview where I realized, eh, I don't want it. So I threw the job interview. Uh, anything else? Uh, besides, uh, yeah, oh, Oh, thank God. I was going to say, I got my first of two vaccine shots, so maybe life will kick back in for old Glenn. Well, with that, let's dive into the story. Intoxicated by Shirley Jackson. He was just tight enough and just familiar enough with the house to be able to go out into the kitchen alone, apparently to get ice, but actually to uh, sober up a little. He is not quite enough of a friend of the family to pass out of the living room couch. Uh, he left the party behind without reluctance. The group by the piano singing Stardust, his hostess, talking earnestly to a young man with thin, clean glasses and a, and a solid mouth. He walked guardedly through the dining room where a little group of four or five people sat on the stiff chairs, reasoning something out carefully amongst themselves. The kitchen door swung abruptly to his touch, and he sat down beside a white enamel table, clean and cold under his hand. He put his glass on a good spot. And the green pattern, and looked up to find that ah, young girl was regarding him speculatively from across the table. Uh, hello, he said. You the, uh, you the daughter? Uh, I'm Eileen, she said. Yes. She seemed to him baggy and uh, ill-formed. It's the clothes they wear now, young girls, he thought foggily. Their hair was braided down either side of her face, and she looked young and fresh, not dressed up. Her sweater was purplish, and her hair was dark. You sound, uh, nice and sober, he said, realizing that was the wrong thing to say to young girls. I was just having a, a cup of coffee, she said. May I uh, get you one? Oh, he almost laughed, thinking that she expected she was dealing knowingly and competently with a rude drunk. Thank you, he said. I believe I will. He made an effort to... Uh, focused his eyes. The coffee was hot, and when she put the cup in front of him, saying, I suppose he'd like it black, <laughs> he put his face in the steam and let it go into his eyes, hoping to clear his head. Uh, it sounds like a lovely party, she said, without longing. Everyone must be having a fine time. 
Oh, it's a lovely party. He began to drink the coffee, scalding hot, wanting her to know she had helped him. His head steadied, and he smiled at her. I, uh, I feel better, he said, thanks to you. It must be very warm in the other room, she said soothingly. Then he did laugh out loud, and she frowned. But he could see her excusing him, and she went on, eh, It's so hot upstairs, I thought I'd like to come down for a while and sit out here. Where, where, where you sleep? he asked. Did we uh, wake you? Yeah, I was doing my homework, she said. He looked at her again, seeing her against a background of careful penmanship and themes. Worn textbooks and laughter between desks. You're in high school? I'm a senior. She seemed to wait for him to say something, and then she said, I was out a year when I had pneumonia. Yeah, he found it difficult to think of something to say. Uh, uh, ask her about uh, boys. Uh, basketball. So he pretended he was listening to the distant noises from the front of the house. Ah, it's a fine party, he said again vaguely. I suppose you like parties, she said. Dumbfounded, he sat, staring into his empty uh, coffee cup. He supposed he did like parties. Her tone had been faintly surprised, as though next he were to declare for an arena with gladiators fighting uh, wild beasts or the solitary circular waltzing of a madman in a garden. I'm almost twice your age, my girl, he thought, but it's uh, not so long since I did homework, too. Play basketball, he asked. <laughs> no, she said. Well, this is a really short story, so with that, why don't we take a little break and uh, dive into an upcoming romance novel. So, why don't you get on upstairs, slip into something comfortable, get between the silken sheets of my master bedroom. Oh, I'm coming. I'm, all right, I'm here. Sorry, I had to pee. I uh, didn't mean to leave you waiting in the bed for this long period of time. I have a bladder of a puppy. Uh, oh, that's a nice outfit you're wearing. It's, a, it's all leather with giant iron hoops holding the straps together. But take that off. And instead, just simply duct tape this uh, calculator over where your heart would be. As I read to you a review of The Kiss Quotin by Helen Hong. Uh... It's a heartwarming and refreshing debut novel that proves one thing. There's not enough data in the world to predict what will make your heart tick. Except the calculator I told you to tape over your heart. Stella Lane thinks math is the only thing that unites the universe. Oh, she comes up with algorithms to predict customer purchases. A job that has given her more money than she knows what to do with. And way less experience in the dating department than the average 30-year-old. It doesn't help that Stella has Asperger's uh, and French kissing reminds her of a shark's getting its teeth cleaned uh, by pilot fish. Her conclusion, uh, she needs lots of practice with a professional. Oh, this is getting weird. Which is why she hires escort Michael Fan, the Vietnamese and Swedish stunner, can't afford to turn down Stella's offer and agrees to help her check off all the boxes on her lesson plan. 
from uh, for, uh, foreplay to more than missionary position. Oh, Lord. Before long, Stella not only learns to appreciate his kisses, but to crave all of the other things he's making her feel. Their no-nonsense partnership uh, starts making a strange kind of sense. And the pattern that emerges will convince Stella that love is the best kind of logic. Well, if you like a story that's complicated, uh, go get The Kiss Quoting by Helen Hong. Uh, it comes out June 5th, uh, and you can get it at Barnes & Noble, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, Bound, Powell's, Target, Walmart, Amazon, and my favorite, Books A Million. Well, with that, let's dive back into the story. He felt, uh, with irritation, that she had been in the kitchen first, uh, that she'd lived in the house, that he must keep on talking to her. That's uh, your, uh, your homework about, he asked. Now I'm writing a paper on the future of the world, she said and smiled. It sounds silly, doesn't it? I think it's silly. Your party out front is talking about it. That's one reason I came out here. He could see her thinking that that was not all the reason he came out here and, and said quickly, uh, what, are you, what are you saying about the future of the world? I don't really think it's got much future, she said. At least the, the way they've got it now. Oh, it's an interesting time to be alive, he said, as though he were still at the party. Well, after all, she said, it isn't as though he didn't know about it in advance. He looked at her for a minute. She was staring absently at the toe of her saddle shoe, moving her foot softly back and forth, following it with her eyes. It's really a frightening time when a girl, 16, has to think about things like that. In my day, he thought of saying mockingly, girls thought of nothing but cocktails and necking. I'm, a, I'm 17. She looked up and smiled at him. There's a terrible difference, she said. In my day, he said, overemphasizing, girls thought of nothing but cocktails and necking. And that's partly the trouble, she answered him seriously. If people had been really honestly scared when you were young, we wouldn't be so badly off today. His voice had more of an edge than he intended. When I was young. And he turned partly away from her as though to indicate half-interest of an older person being gracious to a child. I imagine uh, we thought we were scared. I imagine all kids 16 and uh, 17 think they're scared. It's part of the stage you go through, like being <laughs> boy crazy. I keep figuring how it'll be, she spoke very softly, very clearly, to a point just past him on the wall. Somehow I think of uh, churches as going first. Before even the Empire State Building, and then all the big apartment houses by the river slipping down slowly into the water with, eh, with, the, with the people inside, and the schools in the middle of Latin class, maybe, while they're reading Caesar. She brought her eyes to his face, looking at him numb in excitement. Each time we begin a chapter in Caesar, I wonder if this won't be the one we never finish. Maybe eh, we in our Latin class will be the last people who ever read Caesar. Uh, that'd be good news, he said lightly. I used, to, I used to hate Caesar. I suppose when you were young, everyone hated Caesar, she said coolly. I waited for a minute before he, before he said, I think, I think it's a little silly for you to fill your mind with all this morbid trash. 
Yeah, buy yourself a movie magazine and settle down. I'll be able to get all the movie magazines I want, she said insistently. The subways will crash through, you know, and the little magazine stands will all be squashed. And you'll be able to pick up all the candy bars you want, and magazines, and lipsticks, and artificial flowers from the five and ten, and, and, and dresses lying in the street from all the big stores. Oh, and fur coats. I hope the liquor stores will break wide open, he said, beginning to feel impatient with her. I'd walk in and help myself to a case of brandy. Never worry about anything again. Well, the office buildings will be just piles of broken stone, she said, her wide, emphatic eyes still looking at him. If only you could know exactly what minute it will come. I see, he said. I go with the rest, I see. Well, things will be different afterwards, she said. Everything that makes the world like it is now will be gone, and we'll have new rules and new ways of living. Well, maybe there'll be a, a law not to live in houses so that no one can hide from anyone else, you see. Maybe there'll be a law to keep all 17-year-old girls in school learning sense, he said, standing up. Well, there won't be any schools, she said flatly. No one will learn anything to keep track, uh, getting back to where we are now. Well, he said with a little laugh. <laughs> you make it sound very interesting. Sorry, I won't be there to see it. He stopped his shoulder against the swinging door into the dining room. He wanted badly to say something adult and scathing, and yet he was afraid of showing her that he had listened to her. Well, that's crappy. Uh, that when he was young, people had not talked like that. If you have any trouble with your Latin, he said finally, I'd be glad to give you a hand. Now nah, she giggled, shocking him. I still do my homework every night, she said. Back in the living room? With people moving cheerfully around him. The group by the piano now singing Home on the Range. This sounds like the worst party on earth. His hostess, deep and earnest conversation with a tall, graceful man in a blue suit. He found the girl's father and said, I've just been having a very interesting conversation with your daughter. His host's eye moved quickly around the room. Eileen, where is she? In the kitchen, she's doing her Latin. Gala est omnia divisia in partes tres. His host said without expression, I know. Uh, really an uh, extraordinary girl. His host shook his head ruefully. Kids nowadays, he said. Well... What did we learn here today as we sit back and go over what we read here in the smoking room? Well, we learned about conformity. Uh, you got a boring party in the suburbs with a, a wife who's talking to young, serious men. And when he comes back from the kitchen, she's talking to a different man kind of thing. Uh, being a good hostess, but, you know, as we learned later, swingers parties were a big deal in the 70s, uh, in the late 60s. So, uh, who knows what's going on there? Uh, but it's just a lot of repressed feelings in a quiet, boring environment. This daughter that he runs into in the kitchen suddenly breaks that mold where he wants to sober up while everyone's out there singing boring songs around the piano and she's talking about the end of the world and it's kind of freaking him out. And he goes through the conflict that all of us adults do when confronted with a teenager, which is you both 
think uh, their stuff is silly because you did it yourself when you were younger, but also you want to be cool. You want to impress them. You want them to be impressed by you. And this girl was not impressed with him at all. She talked about the end of the world, specifically talked about churches uh, being destroyed first, uh, and then also how people wouldn't be allowed to live in houses because they wouldn't be able to lose their identities, which kind of reflects on, at least at the time of this writing, the suburbs being a place of huge conformity uh, that the, the, the people go to the suburbs where everyone's houses pretty much look the same back then anyways, and uh, you kind of lose yourself and you lose your identity. So he gets uncomfortable and he wants to say snarky stuff, and he's supposed to be the protagonist, but he's so unlikable that really he starts siding with her uh, throughout the story. So uh, since I said I was trying to grab short stories that have a philosophical bent, that's the world I'm going through right now. Uh, no job and spending money that I don't have. That uh, uh, it's about the conflicts of being confronted with something uh, you don't like. You are going through the motions of being at a boring suburban party with boring people playing songs at the piano uh, and people maybe mildly flirting with each other, but not really. Uh, and you're just drunk and you just want to go home. And then you got a person that just breaks through all that and says, you know, the world's ending and it's probably your generation's fault. And he don't like it. Uh, and all the parents just blow it off. So how does that apply to what I'm going through? Uh, I don't know. I'm on Twitter a lot. That's kind of apocalyptic. Well, with that, uh, I will see you next week. Perhaps I will dive back into, uh, David Copperfield, but I think I might still need a break. Uh, so maybe I'll pick another uh, uh, philosophy-based short story burp that uh, uh, keep you thinking. Till then, see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left. <laughs> <laughs>